Shalemar, the Beryl Aaron, the Martelov, the Halos Chosaneros, tell Aaron that when he lights the Neros, the Halos means literally to ascend or to raise up or to ascend to or to cause to raise, to cause to rise the Neros. To make sure that all seven lights face the center stem. Three on the right branches, three on the left branches, should all be faced towards the middle. Vayas came Aaron, and Aaron did so. Towards the center of the menorah, he caused the flames to to uh, erase. Kasher tziva Hashem es Moshe's God commanded Moshe. So the first pasuk is really a pasuk that tells you what the command is. The next pasuk tells you what Aaron did, which actually was absolutely the exact same thing as the first pasuk. Merely just tells you that he did it. Comes the next pasuk and tells you oh, the. Physical structure of the menorah. The menorah was a work made of a solid piece of beaten out gold. All of it, the branches, the flowers, the stem, and the main branch, was all made miksha. One solid piece beaten out of gold. In the image that God showed vision that God showed Moshe on the mountain, that's how he made the menorah. Firstly, the parsha of the menorah has completely nothing to do with the context of any of the psukim of Bamidbar. It more rightly belongs either in Vayikra, with Korbanus and the Avoda, and the workings of the Mishkan, or where actually we do find a lot of it, of the laws of the menorah is in Parshas Tetzaveh. In Shmos, where it discusses the construction of the Mishkan, the construction of the clay HaMishkan, all the utensils, and all the vessels that were there, one of them was the menorah. That's the proper place for this particular section. So these entire four psukim over here are completely out of place in terms of the context of what's happening here in Bamidbar. As a result, Rashi comments... We'll take a look at the first Rashi. And we're going to basically take a look at some of the lessons of some of these Rashis. <laughs> Why indeed was this Parsha placed at this particular juncture, which is right after the inauguration of the Mishkan? Because this is just a detail in, its, uh, in one of the laws of the Avoda, one of the laws of the Mishkan. Why is it placed right after the inauguration of the Nisim, the dedication ceremony? So Rashi says, That Aaron, upon witnessing the pomp and ceremony of the um, inauguration ceremony of the Nisim, he he became, he felt bad. Because he did not contribute and play any role in any of the dedication ceremonies or 
Well, that's not precisely true, but he wasn't able to participate in the Nassim's inauguration. Not him, Loihuv Loishifto. He was excluded, seemingly, and so was the tribe of Levi that he represents. Omar Loa Kodesh Hashem's consolation said, Chayecho, I'm giving you this mitzvah, you're going to have a greater share, a greater mitzvah than what they have. Because you get to daily light and clean and fix the neros of the menorah. So therefore Rashi explains that the juxtaposing of this parash over here was because Aaron felt bad that he didn't partake in the dedication ceremonies and Hashem therefore gives him this command as a consolation to say that what you have is even greater than what they have. Okay. That's why this parish is placed here. Of course, we're not going to go into it right now. We've done it on previous occasions as to what exactly is the consolation of and how does it fit, how does the consolation fit the, the where he felt bad? Uh, why would he feel bad about not partaking when obviously he knows that what, that his portion of the base of Mikdash and the Mishkan is greater than theirs anyway. He does all the avoda. His children do all the avoda, and uh, this is just one minor detail of the avoda in general. There's nothing more unusual about the uh, mitzvah of the menorah than than any of the other korbanos or any of the other avodas. So why is Hashem? highlighting this particular mitzvah as a consolation. And if Aaron's feeling bad was due to the fact that he didn't partake in the inauguration and the dedication, this doesn't solve the problem. You could have told Aaron, be consoled because you're the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, you get to be the only one to atone for the Jewish people, you get to be the only one to enter the inner sanctuary, nobody else can. You atone for them, you go into the inner sanctuary, no one else. Um, in terms of the daily avodas, probably the most prestigious avoda was the daily offering of Ketoris, which then should have been the consolation more than just the lighting of the menorah. What exactly is the menorah special and different? How does it console someone that wasn't partaking of a dedication ceremony? The truth is Aaron did really partake in the dedication ceremony because you had the korbanos of the Miluim. For eight days, Aaron had a series of korbanos that he was involved in, which was exclusive to him and his children. That was the Miluim ceremony, which was part of the inauguration process. If, of course, he felt bad because he didn't voluntarily contribute to the actual uh, ceremony, then this is just another mitzvah and it's not a consolation either. It's also not a voluntary thing. These are some of the questions that the Ramban asks on Rashi that he doesn't understand. Of course, Rashi is quoting a medrash. Ramban has a whole different pshat in that medrash. However, there's a very interesting lesson, though, to be learned from Aaron feeling bad at not partaking, as well as the consolation. And I think we'll, we should first focus on that before we go weiter. If you look on the first side, that's where it says Parshat Baloscha, at the first piece on the top right, this was set over in the name of Rabbi Yaakov Ruderman's Chrono Levracha, Rosh Hashiv of Baltimore. 
He brings down the Ramban's question that we just mentioned. Hiksha Ramban, Madua Chol Shodai. So he begins by asking the Ramban's Kasha, Hiksha Ramban, Madua Chol Shodai, to Shalaran, Mishim Shlohikrivim, Anasim, Alovadai, Malosav, Kohen Godel. Why should Aaron even feel bad? This question that we ask from the Ramban, why feel bad even? That he wasn't partaking in this. The fact that he's a Kohen Godel isn't that enough of a consolation. The daily Avodah. Isn't that enough of a consolation? He goes into the inner sanctuary. Certainly was greater than them. So why did he even feel bad? He's focusing on Aaron's feeling of, um, of rejection. Is that really what it was? Clearly he wasn't rejected. He's being given the plumb position over here. Why would he feel bad in any way, shape, or form when he's given the greatest prestige and the greatest honor and he's the calling God? See, he, he, he mentions over here a very, I mean, I once mentioned this story as well and, and as an illustration of what it is, and I think this is a tremendous lesson for us. Next paragraph, the Super Rabbeinu Agro. We know that the Vilna Goin, the Vilna Goin spent his entire life learning Torah. No, nobody was equal to the Vilna Goin in that regard. He didn't take any official rabbinical positions. Although people came to him from all over the world and he, he gave of his time for people. But when it came to anything personal, he did absolutely nothing for himself. Even sleep. Right? He slept two hours a day, that's what his children write. And um, his yearly quota of bitl tire turned out to be in the single digit minutes. You know, his tire, he kept track of how much tire he wasted throughout the year. And it was in the single digits. He didn't waste a moment. He, his sister came to visit him after many years that he didn't see her in, the, in decades. <coughs> and he spent a few minutes with her and then he said, I have to go. She so said, wouldn't you have to go? We, we barely spent time together. So he pointed to his beard and said, see the white in the beard? It tells me that I don't have that much time left. I got to go. I'm busy. He's a busy man. Very busy. And before his death, he bemoaned the fact that he's not going to live long. So he think he wants life. He wants life. Chaparai more, chaparai more what? What did he do? Sheterm tirosa ochaz v'psiliyat tzitzis. Before he died, he held on to his tzitzis. And he began to cry. Al shemeyato yafset ki mitzikizud that he's giving up the opportunity by dying of being able to perform this mitzvah. Or in the words that is quoted, he said, take a look at how precious this world is. In this world, for a few kopecks, you could, you could fulfill a mitzvah like tzitzis. Every second you wear it, whenever you wear it, for, the, for, for a few pennies, for a few kopecks, you buy yourself tzitzis and you have that mitzvah fulfilled constantly. In the next world, for nothing. You'll never, for no expense, there's no way you can fulfill such a mitzvah. See, see how precious life is. See how precious life is. What you see from the Vilna Goyim is not only an appreciation of life, but an appreciation of time and an appreciation of mitzvahs <clears throat> to the point of where every mitzvah and every moment and every opportunity to do a mitzvah was precious by him. 
So much so that he felt the need to hop around more and more to the last ounce, to the last moment. How precious life is. Life has infinite value precisely because people could make up their time infinite good. You know, nowadays the expression they say is time is money. But that really demeans what time actually is because time is not money. Time is life. What is life? Life is your allotted time in this world. That's life. Life is the time that they allot you in this world. So that's what time is. What you do with life, if you convert life into money, that time is money. If you waste your time. The other day I mentioned uh, to Harry a study that they just made, um, actually the Albert Einstein School of Medicine, about what staves off Alzheimer's disease. And they discovered that if you use your mind constantly, you have a 63% better chance of avoiding Alzheimer's and its effects, and even just memory loss and all of these things, 63% chance. If you use your mind, if you constantly exercise yourself. <coughs> Stanley, the other day, was saying how in IBM they made a survey that after retirement, at age 65, how then people live on their pensions, for how many years after their retirement were they able to take advantage and live off their pension? And on an average, the survey found something shocking. Two years. Wow. Two years. And they tried to attribute some of it that here a person was doing something every single day for the you know, You're dealing with the people that were like nine to fivers that began their job at age 18, 20 in IBM, spent the next 45 years working there, and all of a sudden, it's gone. They have nothing to do with themselves. Within a couple of years, they're dead. This person that was t- mentioning this survey commented, so what do we do with our senior citizens? We send them off to retirement communities where their program is, uh, we're not talking about old age homes, we're not even discussing that. Just the whole concept of a senior citizen is you farm them out into retirement. Yeah, mm-hmm. nobody wants them. Nobody will give them a job. <coughs> nobody will give a guy a job yeah. after he's 45, he's finished. That's he's true. That's a big problem. That is a big problem. But, but even the idea that society feels that your golden years should be spent doing nothing where we plot out and plan out your life for you. Okay, today we're making a trip to the museum, and tomorrow we're going to have for lunch this and breakfast that, and then we're going to have a mahjong class. I mean, like they plan out their day. You don't even have to think what you're going to do. You don't have to plan. You don't have to think. You don't have to worry about your next meal. You don't have to worry where you're going. Sit and vegetate and don't use your mind. Retirement. And, of course, that, that's the worst thing to do. You have to be mentally challenged and mentally stimulated to live. That's what life is. That's what life is. Obviously, a person of spiritual stature realizes that life has infinite value because only in this world do you have the opportunities to advance yourself spiritually. In the next world, you don't. That's the essence of this week's Haftarah. If you look in this week's Haftarah, you have... You have how Yoshua Cohen Godel was given the vision of the menorah, and um, Yoshua Cohen Godel is standing there 
and the Novi Zechariah is saying how he's how the Sotnas there prosecuting him and his garments had to be removed and put on in clean clothes. The Pasik that I'm referring to is is Pasik Zion, it's like the last lines of the first column where Hashem is speaking to Yoshua Kohen Godel, surrounded by the angels. And he uses the phrase, the last line, I will give you a pathway to walk. A walkway, or a path to walk on, to walk between these standing beings. Angels are referred to as omdim, standing because of their static nature. That's the next world. In the next world, there's no rising, there's no falling. In this world, you travel. Mahalchem. You're a traveler. You travel through life, and you travel through your spiritual abilities to raise yourself or to go down. You get to go up, you get to go down. That's life. Exactly. Baal The theme of this week's parsha is Baal That's what it's called. When you raise up, when you go up, a person that realizes that understands that every single mitzvah is very, very precious because it gives you an opportunity in life that you otherwise won't have. I always say over the story of Rabbi Bleich when he went to visit his aunt Bleich, of course, is a great Talmud Chacham, who is also very knowledgeable in, in medical things. So he deals with issues like time of death and brain death and these things. And he said how, although the halacha says that brain death isn't really considered death and you've got to still preserve life, but he never really fully appreciated that position until he went to visit his aunt in, I believe, Boston, and he went to visit her on Shabbos. She was in a coma. She's been in a coma for a while. And, you know, you look at a person in a coma like that that just, like, sits in a, almost a vegetable state. Of what value is that life? Of what value are you just, like, existing? You call it a vegetable because, like a vegetable, you're just, like, growing in a thing, just barely alive with, with, with no value. Not even growing, but you're just existing. Of what value is it? But halacha does recognize certain things that you're allowed to do, but that's too complicated to go into. But just conceptually, philosophically, you know, wherever the halacha demands that you preserve the life, or that you don't just pull the plug, why not? What value is it? And it seems that when he was visiting her, she must have, like, come out briefly out of the coma for, like, a couple of seconds. It was Shabbos afternoon, and he she turns to him and then sees him and says, good Shabbos. And then she lapses back into her coma and shortly afterwards she, she dies. He says that, you remember the Rebbe Eger and those that hold in the mitzvah of Zohar as Yom HaShabbos Lekatsho, which is the mitzvah of Kiddush, can be fulfilled in its minimal state if you say good Shabbos to another Jew. Actually, when people are in, in Japan, and the issue arises to what to do Shabbos and Sunday with the date line, 
So someday you don't make Kiddush, but you say good Shabbos to somebody and you thereby fulfill the mitzvah, which is, by the way, the only mitzvah the Raisa that you could fulfill on Shabbos that's of a positive nature. All the other laws of Shabbos are all negative. Right? Don't do any work. So all the laws of Shabbos are all in the negative. There's only one mitzvah of Shabbos that's positive. Which is fulfilled with Kiddush. So he says, how precious is that mitzvah? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. So now Sarah said difference. And who knows if her neshama needed the tikkun of being able to fulfill one more zochras yom hashamas l'kancha before she passed away. So how do we evaluate life? How do we evaluate even a person in the coma? What's going on in their minds? What their minds are capable of, we don't even know. But who knows how valuable life is? One moment of coming out of a coma, being able to say zochras yom hashamas l'kancha, how precious that is. So life really presents you with infinite opportunity simply because mitzvahs have infinite value. So if mitzvahs have infinite value, each mitzvah, especially Talmud Torah, has infinite value, it's eternal. Therefore life, which is time, presents you with infinite opportunity. (laughs) Infinite value and infinite opportunity. So therefore life is infinitely precious. A person that realizes that not only is he going to be like the Vilna Gaudi, that he won't waste a moment. Not only that, as a digression, I once explained with this concept the issue of Rabbi Akiva coming to his home, and when he hears his wife say, how have I learned for another 12 years, that he doesn't even stop off and he turns back and goes away for another 12 years. And the question everybody asks is, he's already so close to his home, why didn't he just go in and say hello? sit down with her for a cup of coffee. So there's various answers offered. But I think that if one understands from the Vilna Gaon from this, that how precious is each moment an opportunity, if for whatever reason Rabbi Akiva determined that it wasn't necessary to go into his home, maybe because it'll make her feel bad, whatever it is, then the mere thought of why not you're already here doesn't exist. It's only people like us that don't give value to to a minute of time, so a day is really just a bunch of minutes. And an hour is just 60 of it. So how do you evaluate a minute? You know, at, at the rate of uh, whatever, uh, a dollar a minute, two dollars a minute, so what's, what's an hour worth? An hour worth 120 bucks. What's a day worth? It's just multiples. What's a year worth? A year is a multiple of days, days are multiples of hours, and hours are multiples of minutes. What's a minute worth? So Rabbi Kiva, a minute was so precious and so valuable that he had to make this calculation. If a minute is infinite, then an hour is 60 infinities. And a day is, I don't know how many minutes in a day, that's, that's how infinite a day is. People in the caliber of the Vilna Gaon and Rabbi Kiva don't waste a moment because of the infinite, precious nature of the moments. Because it gives you infinite opportunity to amass value. Oye mitzvah lo yispa mitzvah like oye kesef lo yispa kesef. The same way that people accumulate wealth endlessly with no end, no, non-stop, no reason. Moshe Rabbeinu was considered oye kesef lo yispa kesef, oye mitzvah lo yispa mitzvah. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. Clearly Moshe Rabbeinu would be this kind of an individual. But so was Aaron. So was Rabbi Akiva. So was the Vilna Gaon. So what the Vilna Gaon was saying before he passed on 
is that see how precious life truly is, that for a few cents, for a few cents, you could acquire such a precious mitzvah like titsis, which in many ways is equal to kol kula, for a few cents, how precious, how infinite it is. Well, once you're on that level of understanding, then already we could better understand Aaron. He says, Ki anachnu, we're in the third line of the second paragraph. Ki anachnu mishulim, we could be compared Latinuk to a baby and a little child. Shemal You dress in the most expensive, fancy clothing. And you put him into a palace made of gold and all kinds of precious jewels there. But because he's a child, and this is what he's used to, he doesn't appreciate the location of where he's at. You're brought up a little baby prince living in the greatest palace surrounded by the crown jewels. It's toys to you. You don't fully comprehend the value of what you have. We're placed in a world that's precious, surrounded by gold and silver and opportunities for mitzvahs and we have no comprehension of its value. Each mitzvah is precious. It's more precious than diamonds. Torah is even more precious than we talked about it the other day. But your karmatina is more precious. Totally tyras pichome alfezabuchesah. Torah knowledge is more precious than thousands of gold and silver coins. But there's no appreciation of it. You know, if you if you be born and live your life in Fort Knox, then all those gold bars would be just a burden by you, a chore. Imagine if you'd be living in Fort Knox, ah. What are all these bright golden bars over here? Who needs them? So you're born in a world surrounded by mitzvahs. So you're surrounded by gold bricks. You have all these gold bricks around you. And you have opportunities, but you don't recognize them because you're like a baby born into a world of gold and silver and diamonds without any appreciation of how valuable and precious they are truly. Said the Vilna Gaon, in this world, life is so precious that for a few cents, you could buy titsis. How could you evaluate a mitzvah? This was the virtue of the Vilna Gaon. Through his greatness, the greatness of the Vilna Gaon wasn't that he learned, but that he understood and appreciated the mitzvah and appreciated Torah learning is the appreciation that requires greatness. His greatness was as he understood the truly precious nature of a mitzvah. That's why he didn't want to leave the world. That's why he wanted life. He wanted life and he felt bad he was going to die. He wanted to chaperone more and more life. Why? What was he doing with his life? It wasn't for the pomp and circumstance and the ceremony and another. He didn't have any of that. Same way he went to go before he died, he had no food Right, that's the Pasuk. Oyev kesef, lo yizbak, kesef, oyev mitzvah, lo yizbak. It's the same idea. 
and therefore it was very, very difficult upon him. It was very schwer. He bemoaned the fact that he's losing this opportunity to begin Meniyah's tiny Zebim Mitzvah, about even one Mitzvah, one Mitzvah. If that's the case, we have a whole new understanding of Aaron feeling bad. It couldn't have been an egotistical thing because he was given a greater position. It wasn't for the one-time announcement that they announced at the dinner. You know, I guess, you know, maybe wealthy people sometimes feel this because they actually think that there's some value to having your name announced by the dinner. He gave a donation of a million dollars. Oh, everybody claps. Who cares? Five minutes later, everybody forgets. As soon as they walk out that night, the next day it's all forgotten. They put up your name on a plaque. Next time they buy a building. Where's that plaque? It's in the basement somewhere, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So, what? The plaque is valuable. Well, it's all shtus. It's all narishkeit. You live in a world of narishkeit. So you got to give people the opportunity to do a mitzvah and you have to, to mask it in the narishkeit. They're actually doing a mitzvah. The mitzvah is tzedakah. They don't see that. So you have to fool them into thinking that they're getting something of value. What they're getting is infinitely precious, but they don't even realize it. They're like the kid in the golden palace surrounded by gold and diamonds and he has the, the crown jewels. I don't know if you ever saw the crown jewels in England. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. You see those diamonds and it's, it's amazing. So imagine if you're a kid, the crowns and the crown jewels and the scepters and the diamonds and the sapphire and all of a sudden someone brings him a marble. Says, oh wow, this is the most precious possession I have because the other ones aren't you know, perfectly rounded. I mean, none of those diamonds that he has, the Star of Africa, um, has too many facets on it. You know, like, he can't really roll it on the ground too well. You give him a marble of glass, ooh, I can play with it, it's a marble. All of a sudden, that becomes precious by him. So you're surrounded by gold and silver and diamonds and sapphires and emeralds and rubies, but the marble that someone gives you, oh, wow, that's, that's the important thing in life. That's what it is. A wealthy person is honored by a dinner. He just gave tzedakah. He's supporting Torah. He's causing infinite value to come to the world. Oh, I get to have my friends see my name and they get to applaud and clap me and they're going to give me a, a Megillah or they're going to give me some sort of a silver thing that's going to say in a big plaque, um, this was donated by so-and-so. Wow! Like They gave you a glass marble and you're throwing away the diamonds and the silver and the gold not even appreciating it. And the only thing that's value to you is the marble. If you have that mentality, then once you have all the marbles you want, you're not going to be stingy and mind one marble that you don't get. To say that Aaron was like so stingy that he wanted even that little bit of comfort doesn't even make sense. But when you're dealing with the precious nature of mitzvahs, one more opportunity that he wasn't partaking of, so what you said before is true that the two things are different. As a result, he felt bad that he didn't partake in one thing. It's like giving someone all the mitzvahs, but you can't have the mitzvah of tzitzis. What do you mean? I want the mitzvah tzitzis. What do you mean? Genokshon. Genokshon. You have enough mitzvahs. That's only when you're the kind of a person that gets uh, influenced by other things. But if you're truly a great person and you appreciate the nature and the value of each mitzvah, it's a world unto itself. The one mitzvah that you don't have is the one mitzvah that you're yearning for and panting for. And that's what Aaron felt bad about. It tells us the greatness of Aaron. We can now appreciate why Aaron felt bad. 
Because precisely it was on such a great level. And every mitzvah that he did, he felt the tremendous pleasure and the greatness of a mitzvah. He wanted one, one more mitzvah. One more mitzvah. He was greater than the scene. He did more mitzvah than the scene. He was like the Vilna Gaim. He was like the Vilna Gaim with the tzitzis. The six-year-old kids walking around wearing tzitzis. And the Vilna Gaim is jealous. I, in ten minutes I'm going to be dead. And that six-year-old is going to be spending his whole life wearing tzitzis. And I can't wear it anymore. But you're the Vilna Gaim. You're much greater than the six-year-old. So Aaron, yeah, you're greater than the Nisim. You're greater than the Nisim. True. But he could still be jealous of them. They got one more mitzvah that I don't have. Sure, it's much less. Aaron was much greater. Precisely his greatness is what motivates That's what makes him great. If he would say, yeah, big deal, then he wouldn't be Aaron HaKai. He wouldn't be as great as he was if he wouldn't yearn for the one more mitzvah. His ambition... Ambition is supposed to be utilized always mitzvah lo yispa mitzvah. That's why God gave the midah of ambition in the world. Not for oyev kesef lo yispa kesef, but for oyev mitzvah lo yispa mitzvah. So he was greater than the Nesim, and he had more than the Nesim, and he did more than the Nesim, and he was Yom Kippur, and he had Kitaris, and he had the Avod, and he had the Korbanas, and he had everything. Any mitzvah opportunity that came, he wanted to partake of. Here's a new opportunity to partake of the dedication ceremony. I wish I could do it. I wish I could do it. Now, how is this a consolation? We haven't yet gone to. In, in, in a similar sense, let's take a look at the. <coughs> right. You can't really make it's a consolation. Another Let's take a look now at the piece on the top left, which also deals a little bit with this issue. This is taken from from a sheer from a shoes of of the mashgiach in Ponovishu. Ma mokum hoya lechalishes daita shalar and hari dargosu shalar and hoysim nala biyisera alzu shal nesim. Of what? Again, the question: Why did Aaron have a chalishes hadas when he himself was so much greater and more elevated than the Nisim? The Yosef Zashinif Chalishores by Kodesh Lefnayv Lefnim. I mean, choosing him to be calling Gavul obviously meant that he was greater than them. He became Machosar Loi, Kishlo Hikim Kikarubonah. So, what exactly was he lacking and missing by not partaking in their form? Amru Chazal. So he's going to say a similar theme, but with just a few added things of, that we should try to understand. Chazal used the expression, an interesting expression, that a full utensil can hold things. An empty one can't hold anything. Right? You think it's just the opposite. If you're full, you can't clutch anything more into it. It's full, you can't put anything in. If you're empty, you could fill it up. So Chazal make a, make a kind of a, a play on that. Mole machzik, reikon eno machzik. If you're full, you can hold. If you're empty, you can't. Kekol sh'odam mole godlish b'mitzvahs. The more a person is full of Torah and mitzvahs, ukechol sh'salam maylach ha'maylach, and the more he advances himself and raises himself level after level, 
the more capacity he has for more. As they say in Yiddish, from Essen kommt Appetit. Right? You develop an appetite by eating. You eat more and you get more of an appetite. The more you eat, it's, it's, it's not a physical quality. It's a spiritual quality that was given to people, but because we're powerful, we're given the choice of what to do with it. The same urge and the same ambition that goes that goes into Oev Kesef, Lo Yispa Kesef. It's that desire to grow and advance is the exact same urge that's Oev Mitzvah, Lo Yispa Kesef. In other words, it's a common thread to the desire. And that's given to human beings. You can utilize it one of two ways. However, it's kind of foolish to think that God gave you infinite capacity and infinite urge to be utilized for finite things. The fact that you have this desire and urge and to be utilized on wasteful things makes no sense. You don't give an in infinite desire and infinite ambition for finite things. It's for infinite things. However, people misuse it. And they take the ambition and the urge of the Oev Kesef, Loizba Kesef, and they apply it to Kesef. Moshe Rabbeinu applied it to Oev Mitzvah, it's the exact same one, which is why he became Moshe Rabbeinu. So therefore, the fuller you are, the emptier you feel. The emptier you are, the fuller you feel. And there are many Jews out there, yeah, I learned enough. Who are the ones that feel that they know nothing? The top of the clock. And who are the ones that feel that they learned enough? The Amorats. Chazal say, Ezel Chochom. Hayodea she'en Hayodea. Right? The Chochom is the one that knows that he doesn't know. That means the fool is the one that thinks he knows it all. And it's the wise person that knows that he doesn't know. Chazal also say, Ezel Chochom, Halloimim Nikolotom. Which the Rebbein Yoyin explains, you're willing to learn from everyone because you desire knowledge. And you desire wisdom to such an extent that you'll go for it anywhere and you'll learn it even from a simple person, whatever it is. You have such a burning desire and need to know and to learn that you'll go to any level to get to it. Therefore, is not that who is wise, someone that learns from everyone, which is also true, that a person that can learn from everyone is a wise person. That's true. But Rebbein Yayan says it somewhat differently. He says that Pshat Nezer Chokma Loin Nikolata means because it reveals on the person a desire and capacity and this yearning to, look, to learn and to grow. That's the person that's going to grow. The person that has that attitude, the attitude of Aloin Nikolata is the one that makes you into the town park. Therefore, they explain Pshat in the Pasik of Shlomo Melech, who was wisest of all people. So what does it say? He says he was the wisest from all people. And actually I'm translating it literally. Which translates as what in English? Of, he was the wisest of everyone. What does Mikol literally mean? From everybody. So usually it sounds like an al-diyidl talking. He was... He was wisest from everybody. From everybody, he was the smartest. Right? From everyone, he was the smartest. Correct English would be he was the wisest of all people, of everybody. But the truth is, by Yechkam, he called them, can be literally translated. He became wise from everybody. 
He was wise from all. Not wise of all, but wise from all. Say even from fools. What does that mean? If you translate this, he was wiser than, than everybody, he was of all, even fools. Shkaya. He's wise of everyone, even the fools. But if you translate he was wise from everyone, even from fools, that's what made him wise of everyone. The reason why he was smarter than everybody is because he became smart from everybody, even fools. What does that mean? Not that he had this talent to learn that's part of it. But the fact that he wanted to learn to such a degree that even a fool had what to teach him and he wanted to learn shows, it demonstrates a desire to learn. That's what makes you great. So therefore, mole maxi, reikon eno maxi. Full, you can stop and more. Empty, stays empty. That's the nature of the person. Because we're not dealing in the physical realm, we're dealing in the spiritual realm. Therefore, it's precisely the person that's full. You say, you have enough. You learned enough Torah. You did enough. Why do you need more? So to us, because we're a bunch of empty people. So we view someone like the Vilna guy, come on, you need another few minutes of life for for mitzvah, for tithness, for another five minutes of learning. That's the attitude of the Yid that says, yeah, you know what, let me enjoy life. When Mashiach comes, I'll I'll need a kazais less of the Rubiosa. You know, that's, that's the way they say, like, yeah, okay, they have this big back of the Libyasa, so I'll eat one kazais less, you know, let me just have a good time over here, so I didn't do it all. Time to get all of this, let me eat a kazais less. So if you view life as just eating a bunch of fish, the Libyasa is this huge, I don't know what kind of fish, I'm personally not very partial to fish myself to begin with, okay, I'm willing to give up a little bit of fish. So, back to the attitude. So then you look at somebody else and you say, what are you hacking and hacking and hacking? You want another mitzvah. Who called it? That I understand. Right? That all of a sudden, Aaron, why would Aaron want to be partaking of this? Must be that he wanted to have his name up in life even more so. Hey, tip a shaykish what you are. You live a life where you're in a palace and you're playing with marbles instead of diamonds and you think marbles are more precious. So you think covenant is something. And therefore you imagine Aaron to be like you. And you're putting your kapot on the Aaron and you think that Aaron is someone like me. If Aaron was anything like you, then he wouldn't be Aaron. He'd be you. And you'd be uh, yeah, a lowly person. What's Aaron? Aaron's a great person, not a lowly person. He's a kind brother, not because he was like you. He's Aaron precisely because he's not like you. So if Aaron thinks in terms of another piece of common, it makes no sense. <laughs> you know what? It's people nowadays that they can explain that. Can you imagine? You're this and you're that. Oh, one more piece of common to get. You know, it's sort of like uh, Clinton running for mayor of New York. <laughs> you know, he was already president of the United States, had the free world, but he just can't have enough of it. He just can't have enough of being in the limelight. He needs more. Common. Common. Power. Common. I mean, same thing. It's the same allure. I mean, power is about common. It's about that feeling of, you know, control and everything. So, yeah, I'll be mayor of New York. Why not? Now you're president, what do you need to be mayor of New York for? It's never enough. It's never enough. A shtickle come. A shtickle come. A come. A shtickle come. A Right? It's very nothing but Right. Uh, or, or he says that, uh, you know, he wants to find out about a certain person, so he says, Chaim Yankel. He says, yeah, he goes to town, he starts asking around to, you know, Chaim Yankel. Chaim Yankel, that low life. I hate his guts. Go to somebody else. 
or in Queens in a little whatever. I have it all. I'm not saying that they're wrong by that. But it's ironic that the rich guy feels I don't have it yet. And it's the poor guy that feels he has it all. That's the nature. That's why this guy got rich and this guy got poor. What made rich is the desire and it never stops. And what made the other guy poor is his feeling of severe of being of being zapped. Now we believe that, that a person should be happy when it comes to the physical world. That a person should be a zero or sure You should you should feel satisfied. But the desire that's there is there for a reason. The person who's empty is the one that feels full. He doesn't feel the need to add. The Kivin Therefore, since he feels empty, his soul is empty, and he feels full, he doesn't bother to go out of his way to invest some time, effort, and energy into doing a mitzvah. Well, he makes fun of it, like, yeah, okay, what do I need it? The Lord, and furthermore, this is the kind of individual that even was given the opportunity. It's easy. Like the Villa you know, you have a pair of tissues that's hanging on your thing. Eh, nothing about putting it on. With any kind of little excuse, he gets over it. In other words, a person that doesn't have an understanding and an appreciation of the value of it, doesn't search for more, feels full, and even when a mitzvah opportunity comes his way, he won't move himself out of his way on iota to take advantage of the mitzvah because he feels satisfied. And he'll use any excuse not to do the mitzvah. And therefore, when a mitzvah comes his way, and he could do it, he pushes it aside with, with some sort of a thin excuse. Aaron's greatness was precisely this. His milo was that he moved upwards and onwards and he had it all. And he didn't feel satisfied. He didn't know what it means to be full. Nor did he understand, did he feel menucha, a sense of satisfaction, but rather he was constantly ambitious and yearning. He wanted to constantly elevate himself. The list guys and to merit miles more and more of levels of elevation. That's why he felt that he missed out something. He missed out on another opportunity. Until Aaron was told by Hashem, what you're given is a greater opportunity. So therefore it comes out that the word Baaloyzcha is such an appropriate word to use in this context. What Aaron wrote was more and more. The Shem says, I'm giving you a mitzvah that's going to symbolize that you're going to go up and rise and constantly rise and elevate yourself. That's what this mitzvah is. What is this mitzvah? So how does this represent this constant rise? And how is the consolation? After all, the way we were understanding it before, it doesn't seem to really fit the bill of being the consolation. So for that, we have to really learn the next Rashi which is the other lesson of the word Baha'u'llah. So far we've really just dwelled on the lesson that the Pasha teaches us of proximity. Why this Pasha was placed in proximity to the previous Pasha. So we learned a couple of important lessons on what it means to value things and spirituality and 
Mole Machzik, Rekon Eno Machzik, as well as how to properly evaluate things and Oye Mitzvah Yisbah That's why that we learn from proximity. And therefore, Baaloyschen, that context means that this is an elevating mitzvah precisely because he was yearning for such a thing. And as we pointed out, the person could always elevate himself. Baaloyschen also teaches us the second Rashi, that the command of lighting the menorah was such, because the flame has to rise, that's what flames do, they rise up. Therefore, when you're giving a light to the flame, you have to cause the flame up. So by life, I will translate as cause the flame up. Don't just merely light it, but light it in a way that's causing it to become inflamed, to flame up. Therefore, it says by the Hadloka Loshan Aliyah, Shetzorch Lahadlik Achdehe Shal Hevis Oilameilau. If the light until it blows up, until it's, until it's already self sufficient in terms of the flame, and it's as good as the original flame, that, that it won't be blown up with the wind uh, readily. Another Joshua in Baloschal was Shemaila Hoysel of the Menorah, that there were steps before the Menorah. That with a kind of light, he would walk up these steps in order to light the menorah. He would light these things. So let's go back now to understanding what the constellation was with the menorah. What Aaron was told is that the symbol of the menorah, the menorah we know represents he who wants to become wise should face for the menorah. <coughs> Out of all of the utensils of the Mishkan, everyone had a different representation. The Shulchan represented wealth, prosperity, sustenance, material good. The, the um, Mizbeach Hazor represented the Ketoros, the Avoda aspect of things. The Oran HaKodesh represented the Torah Nevoah given by Hashem. The Menorah represented the human interfacing with, with, with the wisdom of the Torah, and the Torah about that. What Hashem was telling Aaron is that your mission is not just to do the Avoda, but to do that which is going to be eternal and lasting to the Jewish people. As the Medrash elaborates, was what the Nisim did were Korbanas that was temporary, it's here today, God, tomorrow, and in general, all Avoda is temporary because if there's a Besamikdash you have it, if there's no Besamikdash you don't have it. But you are not going to light the eternal flame of transmitting knowledge and wisdom to Kali Yisrael, Tarash about that. Right? As it says in the in the blessing of Zosab uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu blesses them, he blesses them by saying, they, the Kohanim, the Levim, Shevet Levi, page 517, from the bottom of page 516, actually. The mission of a Kohen is Yorush Patechol Yaakov to teach, to teach 
the laws to encourage Shabbat to say what's all these wrong? You'll see who could talk about Pechot, they place the Torahs Mucholam, Pechot, the Kormonis. But their primary function is the Yorim Shpatacholi Yaakov. As the Pesach says, in Malachi, Kisif Sekoin Yishmu Das, the lips of the coin contain and preserve wisdom. And you should seek Torah from the coin. Hashem was therefore telling Aaron that you are going to be the leaders of the teaching of Kalis. And this teaching means that you will lit a flame that's going to last forever. It's more eternal. Let's take a look first in the Pnei Das on the first page on the bottom from the volume of Loch. He explains, God consoled him by saying, you have a greater, a greater task, a greater mission, that you light the menorah. So what is this? What Hashem was saying to Aaron, that yours is greater than theirs, that donations, even Korbanas donations, or anything like that, doesn't have a self-propelling aspect to it. It doesn't propel itself forward eternally. When they're gone, they're gone. But the aspect of lighting on the door and lighting a flame means that it burns eternally. When you light a fire, the fire that you lit is now an independent fire from what you lit. It doesn't always need your constant input to do it. And therefore, unlike the contributor to other things, which if the person is finite, his contribution is finite, the contribution of lighting a flame is potentially infinite because it's self-contained and self-propelling, it's self-perpetuating. So the near is self-perpetuating. That's why he says, Baalos will make sure that the flame is independent on its own. The way you do a Baalos, is if you make sure that it's independent. Therefore the command was given, Baalos, to light the flame in a way that it burns now independently, and that when you leave it, it's a self-sufficient, self-supporting, self-perpetuating flame. Therefore, the near that Aaron was madly committed by choice of Shalav is only made love for Lalom Rashi. Shazem Sabal this symbolizes the idea of a self-perpetuating and a um, what they call those machines a um, perpetual motion machine. Aaron, and that's the consolation. What I'm giving you is a perpetual motion task, unlike what the Nasim had. Therefore, Baha'u'llah. Light it in a way, that's why the command was given over here by Lysa. Because we're saying over here, why was this parasha juxtaposed here rather than the menorah? Because this resulted from the fact that Aaron felt bad about not participating. And Hashem therefore gives him a consolation. But what is the consolation? The consolation is that what you have is self-perpetuating and it's perpetual motion. Therefore it's Baalosha. And therefore the command has to be do a Baalosha. But if you do that, You've created something of lasting value, something that, that perpetuates itself. 
And therefore, the mitzvah of Baal symbolizes a perpetual motion mitzvah. Hanim Shech, Sumasi, Pufuz, it goes on and on. Vizel Achilik, Ben Kol Nyon Eitzidok, Shapula, Bruch La'atzma, V'leinus Barachas, V'holo Me'atzma. This then is the difference between the person that gives tzedakah for a certain function and the person that teaches Torah to others. Torah, there are people in life that support Torah and they do mitzvahs. And then there are people that disseminate Torah. He says the difference between being a disseminator of Torah and doing other mitzvahs is that the disseminator of Torah lights a flame that perpetually goes on and on and on. Self, self, uh, the person dies. I mean, to this day, if we could appreciate what Rashi accomplished for us, I mean, personally, forget about Rashi. It's, he had daughters. One son-in-law, he had a son-in-law by the name of Mayer. Mayer, who was a huge Talmud He had a son, Rebekah Talmud, the greatest of Balotosim. He had another son, the Rashbam, who finished up with Rashi and didn't, can you imagine that, being a father of children like that? His other son, I think, was the Revolve, also from Bali Tais, the greatest. His grandson was the Re. The Re was the, was the chief Bali Tais. And his father was Rashi. All Torah that we have, our whole style of learning, all comes from these people. That's besides Rashi's contribution. But Rashi's been dead a thousand years. But it goes on. He lit up flame. He taught Torah to the Jewish people, and it goes on and on and on beyond his life. You do a mitzvah, it's finite. You do Torah, you light a flame, it's infinite. Hashem says to Aaron, I'm giving you not just the menorah's lighting, but what the menorah symbolizes, which is the ability to light these flames and to teach Torah and to disseminate Torah. Have a talmid of Shalom, says in Be like Aaron, be of his disciples. To be Oed Shalom, Rode Shalom, Oed is a base with the carp of the Torah, and to bring them near to Torah, to teach Torah to the Jewish people. That is no, no comparable thing. Hafatah's Torah is a self perpetuating and a self propelling mitzvah that goes on in perpetual motion machinery. Therefore, he was given this symbol of this perpetuation. And therefore other mitzvahs are self-contained blessings. Hafotzas ha Torah, but Torah dissemination. The power of Torah life is perpetual and goes on and perpetuates itself forever. And the flame goes up and up, tomit constantly, generation after generation, the flame goes up. That's what Aaron was given. However, you can't just light it. The only way it's going to work, and that's what Hashem tells Aaron the key to the deal, is Baalosa. Baalosa means you're going to have to teach it in a way where you create thinkers and people that are independent. So you have to teach them woven of symbolic of the flame that goes into the the uh, whatever the wick that you don't just light it because then a little wick could come along and blow out even if it doesn't but the point is it's not as powerful as the original flame 
if you light it in a way where it's just barely right, although maybe you did the mitzvah, but if the wind could come along and blow it out, it means it's open to all winds. Light it to a degree that it's strong enough. When you leave the flame, the flame's already as strong as you. That's really what you're doing. You're lighting the flame to such a degree that the flame is going up. It's in flames, literally. And the flame is rising. Now you can walk away from it. Because now it's as good as you would. It will be able to light other flames that will go on and on forever. So therefore, the tonight, the condition to be given this blessing of Aaron was that when you teach, make sure you teach not just by enlightening, enlightening someone, Elie Madlik, but keep lighting. Until the flame rises independently. That's one shot. Another shot that he says why this is considered a great consolation is anything that you have, anything else in life that you have, if you don't have light, you have nothing. Chazal tells us that a blind person doesn't really feel satiated. And if you eat in the dark, you don't enjoy what you're eating. And we know that, you know, you go to restaurants and the piece of schnitzel that they give you costs $5, but the ambiance of the presentation, what they were at place, or at the box, box tree. The box tree. It certainly <laughs> doesn't, but what they give you is worth $5. But you go there and you're sitting around and you oh, this is great, this is schmuck, this is worth every penny. And what's every penny? hundred bucks, right? You're spending $100, not $5, but what are you paying for? It's everything, the presentation. But if you're living in the dark, if all of a sudden lights are out, there's a blackout and you're eating, it's a piece of schnitzel I'm eating. What am I eating? I'm eating a piece of schnitzel. I've already eaten that at home. But it looks good. The sizzle and the steak and the look and the ambiance of the presentation and the thing and the fireplace, right? The fireplace in the corner over there and the waiter, yes, madame, bonjour, what would you like? And oh, yeah, they're treating me like, like I'm a million dollars. It's all fake. Without light, Everything that you have can't be enjoyed. If you don't have or any man you can't fully enjoy anything else. Comes out that it's the light of the land that gives you pleasure and enjoyment in everything else that you do as well. Hanir causes enjoyment and pleasure in everything else that you have. This is true with Torah as well. What gives light to all the mitzvahs and gives pleasure and appreciation of everything else is the light of Torah. It, it, the Torah Torah is no same time with the Torah Chumrim and Gashmim umalois and ilui godliyus in your nekedusha mamish. Actually, he's talking about on, on a physical, material level, but it's true even on a spiritual level as well. Both things. Really. We're saying it like this: What gives you a gishmak in life, an enjoyment of the physical and the material, is if you're. I, mean, I always give the marshal, you know. And I always think about. Uh, I always think about it. Not often enough. And you see the cat going into the garbage can and he's thinking what fools these people are that they throw out this perfectly good pizza crust. You know, you have to see the way the kids finish up the pizza and they leave the crust and then and you throw the garbage and, and you hide from the cat and you seal it down so the raccoons and the cats can't get to them. What are these wasteful people throwing away pizza crust, such valuable stuff? But then I realized that the cat, to him, going into the box tree or eating uh, a steak, or eating a piece of pizza, or uh, whatever. It's all the same thing. He doesn't appreciate it. I appreciate it. And people that are greater than me in this appreciation, bigger connoisseurs, or gourmets, appreciate it even more. I can't appreciate wine. 
I can't put it in my mouth, swish it around with my tongue, tap the top of my palate button, and say, hmm, this is worth 200 bucks. Well, I, I can't do that. I don't know. I don't appreciate it. I go to a museum and I see a work of art. I don't know a Mona Lisa from any people to say. Those people that could appreciate it, appreciate it. But there are things that I could appreciate. I could appreciate some music, whatever. Those things that you could appreciate. The more human that you are, the more enlightened that you are, the more you appreciate life. Torah and enlightenment and chokhmah give you appreciation of life, otherwise you remain a cat. With no appreciation. You remain an animal, yeah, that's all the same. So life makes you enjoy everything. Likewise, what gives pleasure and benefit and value in the world of life is Torah and knowledge. You have that, you could appreciate and enjoy life. It's kishmak. So Torah gives you a kishmak in life. That's why it's symbolic. What they have is the base mitzvah that's self-contained, but that's it. What you have is the life that's going to, it, that throws life and enjoyment and pleasure in everything. And this is not only true in the physical realm, but it's also true in the mitzvah realm. I, I once said over from, I think it was around Kotlin that says, when you say in the morning, and you go through all the different mitzvahs and it ends by the end and it says, the Talmud Torah connected kulam. Usually it's translated to mean Talmud Torah is valuable equal to all the rest. The word connected doesn't necessarily mean equal to. It's like the word azer connecto, which was connecto means opposite. And Aesop says to Yaakov, let me bring people and go opposite with you. Talmud Torah connected kulam means that you need Talmud Torah with all of them. With all mitzvah, each mitzvah's value is enhanced and truly appreciated and really derives from its Torah connection. Talmud Torah connected kulam means that together with the mitzvah is Talmud Torah which gives life and value to the mitzvahs. We say in Amarav before Shema, the same way they will love the last of the Shema, Luma, the Lama, Nishma, the last of the Kayim is called Divrei, according to one verse, it's called Divrei Talmud Torah Sechah. Rather than it's called Divrei Torah Sechah, it's called Divrei Talmud Torah Sechah. What does it mean, Talmud Torah Sechah? Because to do the mitzvahs and to properly do it and to properly appreciate it, it has to go with Torah learning. Aaron, you're given that task. What they did is a korban, is a mitzvah, that's fine. But you're going to give the light, the light that's going to enhance all of the mitzvahs. The light that's going to enhance the mitzvahs as well as this world's valuable things as well. So therefore it gives value both to the physical and the material world as well as the spiritual world. That was the consolation that Aaron was given. As a result, we have so far, but I'm going to briefly just, just dwell on a couple of minor points and lesson of our teaching, that Aaron's great yearning was in itself a merit of all of this. And Baloscha speaks to Aaron's yearning. Baloscha, that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. The consolation was that you're going to be the disseminator of Torah and teaching of Torah to call Yisrael. But the way that it's done, and this is what Ramesha points out in the next piece, Let's quickly go through these pieces of this page. Teresh Rashi, Beis and Yonan, one was to make sure that the flame goes up itself on the bottom left. 
made that there should be steps going up to the menorah. So the Sifzach HaChom explains, how do you learn both things out from one word? Says, well, because the word could mean this, it could mean that, so therefore they're both equal in implication. So you learn both. Fractor of Moshe, what does that mean? I mean, the Torah totally disconnected. Balosha means go up to the menorah, or Balosha means make sure that the flames rise. Since we can learn this way, that we learn both. But the Torah totally unconnected. Explains with Moshe that the Torah not disconnected. Because if you understand that the symbol of the menorah is the symbol of teaching Torah, and it's about how to learn and how to teach, then both become equal, opposite components of the same lesson, the same message. Let's point out one thing, though. How high was the menorah? The menorah was only, what? Well, it was large from the standpoint of what we think of a menorah as being small. But it wasn't that large that you needed three steps to go up. It was less than the size of a person. A person is considered to be more than, you know, three amas ahead. The menorah was only like three amas. To go three steps up means that you're rising up and looking down into the menorah when you light it. Why was there a need to have steps in front of the menorah to rise up and to walk up in order to light? What's the special message being conveyed with that? We've already discussed a little bit about the flame of the Baalosla shot of inflaming it. And when you teach Torah, teach Torah by causing it to light up and to make your Talmudian independent thinkers. Well, what does that do with, even though you don't really have to go up steps, but go up the steps anyway. Explain to Moshe, and I'm going to really be borrowing a little bit from what he's saying, but then adding on to it. So I'm not going to quite say what he's saying. But he says both things represent teaching. Namely, the work of the person that learns first for himself, and then he gives over and teaches others. One lesson is that when you teach Torah, as we just said, you have to teach your students to the point of where they become independent. He's able to understand things, I'm worried, he's able to fully understand it. And henceforth, He's like a flame that's able to operate independently, not always as a crush dependent on you. But when is that possible? How could you teach someone to such a degree? That's only when you yourself have advanced your own learning to the degree that you fully comprehend the material that you could then give it over on such an advanced level. So you have to really be minded and you have to harm yourself in order that you understand it fully, and only then could you give it over. Now, it's true that the menorah could have been cleaned out by standing on the ground level. And you didn't have to go up the steps. The whole menorah was only 18 feet. But to fully be able to look into the menorah, to clean out every nook and cranny, to make sure that it's all clean and that everything is properly operating, it's all up look into it and see exactly what's there. You have to be iron into the menorah and therefore the steps represent this extra level of eel. Therefore, it's the same thing with teaching and learning. To teach to such a degree where there's a Baha'u'llah of the flame 
you would have to be able to go in the eye at every little form, every minor detail. Once you know every minor detail, you could convey Torah to such a level as well. Next piece. That was the first. I'm just doing this part quickly so we can finish in a few minutes. Only then are you a good teacher. Only when you're mine and you know things that well could you teach properly. So therefore they're both related. He then says in the next piece the following. Why do you need these steps? It teaches us that when you teach Torah to others, it's not enough that the Talmudim superficially know that goes back to the message of the flame, but they should know everything to their fullest capacity. And first you have to know. So you have to go up. But let me just elaborate on, on, on these themes slightly. What you see then is one message is how to teach. Baha'u'llah is make sure that the students learn, and this, by the way, is not only true in terms of teaching students, but children. Because we're all educators. Whether we're parents or grandparents, if we're parents, there's an obligation of which is usually applied to everyone, but is a person that tells you you have an obligation to your children. If you're a grandparent, there's a possible adopting of the nechol of neighbor nechol. You have an obligation to your grandchildren. And you should not move a to all of Israel. So we're always being teachers. When you teach, that's the way you have to teach Baha'u'llah. Because then it's self-perpetuating. Then it becomes a perpetual motion machine and it goes on and on forever and ever. However, when a person teaches, he has to recognize a few other points. Don't think that to teach ignorant students, and I've met in my life that it's sufficient to okay what they know. You gotta be my eye like Moshe saying you gotta go up and fully understand what you're doing, even to teach something that seems low. It doesn't seem so high when I gotta rise up to do it. You're doing you're lighting a menorah, go up to go down. Go up to look into the Ma'ayin in order to teach. If you want to be in the midst of the Ba'alos, you have to go up. Secondly, don't ever view that what you're doing is a demeaning task. Now, what am I doing teaching? You should know that Ba'alos, that what you're doing, your attitude has to be one of Ba'alos, of going up steps. When you're disseminating Torah, teaching Torah, you're doing something of great value as Arnold being consoled, it's Baha'u'llah. You're going up to do it. Thirdly, you think that when you're teaching, you yourself are growing. You should know that you think it's low and you're not really gaining anything. No, no, no. Baha'u'llah, you're going to be going up yourself. When you light those candles and those flames, you yourself are going to be gaining from it. So first of all, there's a lesson here that you got to teach that they should know and they should be independent. Secondly, in order to do that, you got to know by law, so you got to go up as Moshe says. Thirdly, never look disparagingly at what you're doing, because what you're doing is a great thing, it's Ba'alaisla. Fourthly, in order to teach even a lowly menorah, you have to be Ba'alaisla, you have to go up. And fifth, you will indeed gain from it as well, Ba'alaisla, because when you teach, even though it looks low, you're actually rising and you're going up. These were the consolations that Aaron was given 
for not being able to participate. But it all begins with the yearning 